Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Thursday, October 29th. U.S. GDP is up, France is locking down, and we're focused on the global fight against COVID-19. We are now in the third wave of the pandemic, with cases, hospitalizations, and deaths all on the rise. Or, depending on how you look at it, we never really emerged from the first wave. Not just here, but also in parts of Europe, with both France and Germany reinstituting lockdowns. So today we want to dig deeper into the state of vaccine development, both here and abroad. To start, a few recent developments. First, Pfizer had been expected to release safety data from its phase three clinical trial by the end of October, but that's now been delayed by at least a week. Two, AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson have both restarted their phase three U.S. trials after they'd been paused because of adverse patient events. Three, China is vaccinating some people, not a clinical trial, actual vaccinations. We don't, however, have safety or efficacy data on that vaccine. And speaking of China, it's worth noting that it and the U.S. seem to largely be going this alone, not coordinating with each other, nor with an international coalition designed to get vaccines to countries that otherwise might struggle to develop them, buy them, or distribute them. We'll dig deeper into that sort of vaccine nationalism, plus all the latest developments, with medicinal biochemist and science magazine blogger Derek Lowe. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Derek Lowe, a longtime medicinal chemist and author of the In the Pipeline blog. So Derek, I kind of want to go a little bit around the world here. And let's start in the U.S. This question with Pfizer, which talked in an earnings call earlier this week, that it is not going to be releasing any of its data pre-election, maybe not for a little bit after that. From your sense, is this Pfizer saying our information just isn't ready yet to be released? Or is this Pfizer saying we don't want to get into the political whirlwind that would come if we released it on November 1st or November 2nd? It could be both, honestly, but probably more the first. Pfizer's trial, like a lot of the other vaccine trials, is not set up by date so much as it's set up by how many cases show up in the study groups. So they're waiting for a particular number of coronavirus cases to show up before they can even take their first look at the data. What does exactly that mean? Because they're giving people this experimental vaccine. They basically, is what you're saying, they need a certain number of patients where the vaccine doesn't actually prevent COVID from occurring. Actually, they just need a certain number total. And once they hit that number, then the monitoring committee, which is off to the side, will unblind and take a look and we'll see how many of those people were getting the vaccine and how many weren't. Can you give me a sense of kind of what the efficacy expectations are? In other words, none of these vaccines are going to be 100 percent effective. When Moderna or Pfizer or J&J or anybody comes out with their efficacy data, What's a number we kind of want to see or what might surprise us to the upside or downside? Yeah, well, the FDA has set a floor of 50%. They're not even going to consider a vaccine unless it's at least 50% effective. The clinical trials are set up so that the early looks at the data would tell you if something's at least about 70, 75% effective. So if someone does get their first look at the data, and they say, okay, you know, we're, we're seeing good numbers. That means that you are seeing in that 70% range. Upside, as you say, we're not going to see 100. 90 would be a wonderful number. 
but we just don't know what to expect. If somebody does come out and their data is, you know, above that 50% threshold, say 55%, FDA says that's okay, but does the drug maker even continue at that point? Ah, that's going to be a tough call because you would have to figure that someone else is going to do better than that. So that gets us into the problem of having, well, I guess it's a problem of having several vaccines all hitting at around the same time. We could end up with a mosaic where one of them is better in older patients. Another one is easier to distribute. A third one is more available more quickly than the other two and so on and so on. It's going to be tricky. Who ultimately then would make the call on how to move forward on the government side, particularly given that it is the government saying they're going to use the U.S. military to do distribution? This isn't going to be all private distribution deals with pharmacies. Yeah. And the distribution gets complicated when you talk about, say, the Pfizer vaccine, because that one, as far as we can tell, needs much colder temperatures to be shipped and stored. And your local drugstore does not have a minus 80 centigrade freezer. I can assure you of that. So that's going to have to be a different distribution than, say, the flu vaccine. I don't know. I mean, I get ice cream from my convenience store, from my pharmacy. It's very, very cold. Maybe not negative 80, but it's very, very cold. You won't get any more ice cream if they filled it full of vaccine. That is true. Well, different kind of ice cream. (laughs) Uh, So, Derek, let's expand a little bit. China has started distributing a vaccine, not just clinical trials, but actually distributing a vaccine, including the military, et cetera. What do we know about the Chinese vaccine? Not all that much. We know the technique that they're using, and it's a perfectly acceptable vaccine technique. But with any of these things, you have to actually go out and get the data from real patients. And that we have not seen. We don't know how we were just talking about efficacy. We don't know how efficacious the Chinese vaccine is. Is it 50? Is it 75? Is it 90? No idea. Nor have we seen any safety data. So the Chinese government has been. Uh, let's just say, extremely aggressive in this move. But we don't know how well it's working out. You were on the show several months ago when there was news out of Russia that Russia had a vaccine that they were starting to give people. And you said on the show, you would not take the Russian vaccine. Would you take the China one? Oh, man, that's a tough call. I would not take it until I saw these numbers. No, I would not. It may be perfectly good, but It's a shot in the dark until they actually do a report on their real efficacy and their real safety. Neither the U.S. nor China is part of this so-called COVAX initiative. Can you explain what the COVAX initiative is and why are neither of these two countries involved in it? The COVAX initiative is a uh, multinational effort to try to get the distribution and production worked out for vaccines to countries that have no sort of industry like that themselves. We're going to have to be able to get this vaccine to a lot of countries around the world. And it's a significant problem. So I like the idea of coordinating this. So we're not all stepping on each other's shoes or neglecting some areas. As to why the U.S. and China are not part of it, frankly, I don't know why we're not part of it. I really don't. I don't know where that decision came from. China, I can't speak for them, but they have been very, they haven't been shy about being nationalistic about this about how China has this great program going, about how the Chinese vaccine is coming here for you and all that. So they may not want to share the spotlight. I don't know. Can I ask this broadly, given that there has been this relative lack of international cooperation on vaccine development with the U.S. and China, should Americans be concerned that there is a risk that there will be a vaccine developed in a country that is not being funded by Operation Warp Speed or the U.S., and thus lots of people in lots of countries will get vaccinated before we do? 
I don't think it's going to come to that. We have a lot of vaccine trials going on here in the U.S., in addition to the ones you mentioned, like Russia and China. I tend to think that more than one of these is actually going to work, but we're just going to have to sort out, as we were saying before, what that word work means. So I don't think we're going to end up in a situation where the U.S. is shut out like this. Final question for you. Dr. Fauci said uh, within the last 24 hours, I think, that we, being America, will have to wait until sometime probably late 2021 until we get some semblance of life back to normal. Do you agree with him? He's being cautious on that. I hope that that's a, you know, worst case kind of scenario. I understand why he's being like that, because you don't want to go out on a limb and tell everyone, hey, middle of the summer, we're all going to be great, because we don't know that. We haven't seen the data for any of these vaccines working, and we don't know what the rollout's going to be like. So if we have, you know, a lot of issues to work through, then yeah, it might be toward the end of 2021. I'm a little more optimistic than that, but Lord knows until we see the data, there's no reason to speculate with any confidence. Derek Lowe, the name of the blog is In the Pipeline, which you can find at sciencemag.org. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the U.S. economy, with the Commerce Department reporting that GDP climbed 33.1% between the second and third quarters. That is by far the largest ever quarterly GDP jump, although the U.S. economy does remain smaller than it was before the pandemic. So we wanted to ask Axios Chief Financial Correspondent Felix Salmon for his top takeaway from today's report. My main takeaway was this was a backward-looking report that was comparing like the middle of the third quarter, to, or rather the average of the third quarter to the average of the second quarter, which included April when everything was shut down. It really doesn't tell us very much about where we are right now or how we're doing right now. It looks like September and October have been pretty flat in terms of GDP growth. And I think this number exaggerates how well the economy is actually doing at the moment. Today, we're also watching Tiffany & Company, the legendary U.S. jeweler that's agreed to be acquired by France's LVMH for $15.8 billion. If that tie-up sounds a bit familiar, it's probably because LVMH first agreed to buy Tiffany last November, but then walked away for all sorts of reasons, including pandemic-related sales slowdowns, and anger over a new U.S. tariff on French luxury goods. The two sides sued each other, but apparently decided to resolve their differences in the boardroom rather than in the courtroom, as the new deal is about $425 million smaller than was the original. And finally, trick-or-treating is canceled in lots of communities this Halloween, but people are still buying costumes, at least for their pets. A National Retail Federation report finds that 18% of respondents plan to dress up their dogs or cats this year, up just slightly from last year's survey. And within that number, 10% say they plan to costume their pets like pumpkins. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national oatmeal day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.